Good morning, everybody. Um, it's going to be a, maybe a bit jarring, but I'm just going to immediately go into some scripture. We're going to be in Luke chapter 21. For, I'm going to read verses 5 through 19. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, he being Jesus, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to mediate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. So this week, or I guess today, rather, right? Um, I'm going to continue on in Daniel. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. When I read the passage that Paul gave me, starting in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24, I was like, who starts the story here? That was my, I was like, Paul, what? So I went back, double-checked, and was like, that's the right passage. Went and looked at the previous one, like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. Um, so the first cliffhanger sermon I've ever heard um, last week, and if you have not, if you were not here you, or you didn't watch last week, I would encourage you to go listen to it. Um, and just as a slight shameless plug, we have our sermons on basically every podcast service, I think. If we are missing one that you use, tell us and we'll add it to it. Uh, but then Facebook and YouTube has our services on there as well. So it's easy to go find. Um, and I would encourage you to go listen to it because it was really good. So today we're going to continue on. But just as a refresher of where we're at, um, the piece of the story that Paul covered last week, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Um, they're refusing to adhere to King Nebuchadnezzar's command to bow and worship the golden image at the sound of the horn or the trumpet or whatever it was. Um, and so Nebuchadnezzar's advisors tell him, and they're like, they're not worshiping, so they should be thrown to the fiery furnace, as your decree has declared, right? Um, Nebuchadnezzar gets ticked off. He brings them before him. He's like, I'm going to give you another chance. We're going to bring out the people. They're going to make the sound. We're all going to bow together. Um, and I just love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer when all this happens. They're like, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They're just they're like, no, we, we will not bow. And so that pisses them off even more. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, that is. Uh, he heats up his furnace to seven times, and it starts to go kind of a runaway heat. Um, they bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and toss them into the furnace. And it's so hot that the men tossing them in die from the heat outside the furnace, right? Um, and that's where Paul ended his sermon. So 
cliffhanger for anyone who has not read the story before. Um, but we're going to continue on there. Before I do that, I'm actually going to go and read another passage that's not out of Daniel. I'm uh, just really throwing all you guys off. Um, over in the uh, book of James, chapter 2, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Um, James talks a lot more about the idea of living in dead faith, about, the con- about actions and works versus faith without actions and works. And I bring all of this, I bring this passage up, or this verse up, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in their actions, demonstrate a living faith. They demonstrate the type of faith that we should have today, that they stood before Nebuchadnezzar and said, we will not bow because our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still will not bow. And so that is our example. That is our example of a living faith that we're going to look at today. So, getting back to our passage, um, sorry, Evan, I'm going to skip one of the verses I had on the slide, but we're going to start in verse 24. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of them. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, the verse that I just told Evan I was going to skip, I'm going to go back to in verse 15, at the very end, um, Nebuchadnezzar is probably yelling at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In nine verses, Nebuchadnezzar goes from, who, who, in, who can deliver you from my hands? I am King Nebuchadnezzar. The inflated ego, the pride, the confidence, no one can take out King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 24, I feel like every ounce of color drained from his face, and all that confidence was suddenly shattered. He rose suddenly. He rose in haste and declared to his counselors. He double-checks. He's like, maybe the heat's getting to me, right? Maybe we threw four people in there. He's like, did we not throw three into the fire? He's asking his counselors in there. They reassure him. I don't know if they can see in at the moment or not, but they reassure him. He's like, yeah, we threw three. And he says, I see four. Not only do I see four people when we threw in three, but they're no longer bound, and they're walking. They're walking in the fire so hot that the people directly outside the furnace has died from the heat. They're not, they're not hurt. They're not in pain. It looks like they're just talking about the, the most recent gladiator match or whatever they would talk about in that day. They're just in there walking around. And one of them is glowing with heavenly power. He looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar's pride is completely taken back. He's finally, he gets to witness God in action in a very, very real way when he looks into that furnace. So we continue another couple of verses. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. 
Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hairs of their head were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Here we get to see a difference. We can see Nebuchadnezzar's tone change a bit, right? He goes from what God can deliver you to Shadrach, Meshach, and Bingo, servants of the Most High God. Um, please, please have mercy. You can come out of the fire now, right? I, I imagine that's his mindset. That's his, the panic and fear that has come over him in that, oh, there is a God that can deliver them from my hands, and he's doing it right now. Um, and there's this heavenly being inside the fire with them, so I'm going to call them out. I'm going to try to appease this God by saying that they are servants of the Most High God and bring them out of this. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of this, it's everyone's examining them. And they're like, the cloaks aren't burned. Your hair isn't singed. You're not hurt in any way. You don't even smell like fire. I feel like if you get within like 10, 15 feet of a fire, you smell like smoke for the next 12 hours. These guys are literally in the fire. And they come out, they, they can't even tell that they were in there. The only thing that burned away was the binds that they had put on them. And so everyone in Nebuchadnezzar's court that was witnessing this are just left amazed and astonished. And what this tells us is that God is faithful to deliver his children as he promised. If we go look in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, um, Isaiah prophesied, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I cannot think of a more literal instance where this is true, where God has delivered on this promise right here. They are literally tossed into the fire, then they get up and walk around in it for a little bit, and then come out when they're called and have no evidence that they were ever near a fire. The flame shall not consume you. And then we go look at Psalm 34, verses 7 and 8. It says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Another promise given, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up for their faith. They stood up and said, we will not bow because we know God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we still aren't going to bow. They took refuge in God. They had full faith and fear in the Lord. And what happens? An angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. An angel of the Lord stood in that fire with them. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, all of them were part of Israel when it was taken by Babylon, right? Babylon comes in, completely wipes out Israel, conquers the entire thing because of Israel's sins. But these four righteous individuals, among, I'm sure, plenty within Israel, they're taken into captivity. They become slaves and servants to the king of Babylon. These men are living, are trying to live out their faith. They've, in the entire time, we point out this story as like God is with us, right? But God was with them this entire time, right? When they were saying, when they were rejecting the king's food and taking the water and vegetables, God was with them. When they were prophesying and interpreting dreams, God was with them. 
when they were standing up to Nebuchadnezzar and saying, we're not going to bow at the threat of death, God was with them. He was with them the entire time. When Jerusalem was under siege, God was still with them. He was with them because they were faithful. And when they got to the fire, the closest man-made thing to hell on earth, literally, God said, I'm with you, but so that you know that I'm with you, I'm going to literally send my angel down to you to be seen physically by you and everyone else because you need that extra little bit of encouragement because God loves his children and he cares for his children. So we're going to go back over into Daniel and read a little bit further here. Um, I'm going to read all the way 28 through chapter 4, verse 3. This is kind of Nebuchadnezzar's response to all of this. It says, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. Then in chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, in all the earth. So this is a decree that he has sent out to the various cities and towns across his empire. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good for me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So when we take all of that and we look at it at face value, right, it looks like Nebuchadnezzar understands God to a certain degree, right? He's talking about this everlasting kingdom and dominion that lasts from generation to generation and his mighty signs and wonders. And he's acknowledging God. But at the same time, he's saying, if you speak against this God, I'm going to tear you limb from limb and I'm going to lay your house in ruins. In other words, your entire family and bloodline is going to suffer the same fate. Um, which shows that he doesn't quite understand God, right? This, to me, reads more as appeasement to God. This reads as Nebuchadnezzar being scared of God and trying to say the things that he would want said about himself, right? He wants, he's lifting God up, but he also wants that bit of, oh, if someone were to say something bad about me, I would want them torn limb from limb. So if someone says something bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Bengo, I'm going to tear them limb from limb so that hopefully their God will be happy with me and not punish me for what I just tried to do to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, part of this is informed by what we see later on in Daniel, but that's the way I read this. Nebuchadnezzar has a lot of pride. He's, he views himself as basically a god. And so when he is praising God, to a certain degree, there's a, I think a lot of it is appeasement for the sake of trying to save his own skin. Um, so 
what's the overall outcome of this story, right? Uh, a lot of the times with this story, we focus on God being with us all the time, and he is, right? I love the song, There's Another in the Fire. It gets me every time. Every time we play it or I'm back there running sound or whatever, it gets me every time because there's always God. God is always with us. doesn't matter what we go through. There's always another in the fire with us. But right now, I want to look at the outcome of living faith. Similar to that idea from James, that faith is without works is dead, right? Then what is, I said Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo are examples of this. I'm going to give a kind of more generalized view of it. You can think of it in the literal living and dead sense, right? If, I'm sorry, this might be a bit, a bit depressing. If there's an animal sitting there that has not moved for weeks, months, whatever time frame you want to put there, it doesn't make sound, it doesn't eat, it doesn't drink, it's just, it's there, it's not alive, right? That is the same thing with faith. When your pet is running around, eating, drinking, making sound, obviously they're alive, right? Faith is the same way. If your faith sits there, doesn't make a sound, doesn't move, doesn't interact with others, and it's just, I have it, but it's just there, is it really alive? Is that really faith? Faith moves us. It causes us to do things like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. When they faced persecution, they stood and said, God will save us, but even if he doesn't, my faith calls me to stand and not bow to you. I'm going to go look at, we're, we're going to flip over to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. Um, we're going to read the first three verses here. Um, As he passed by, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I want you to guys hear that again. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not deserve the persecution they faced under King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? Israel itself had sinned, and that's why it fell. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, these are all faithful individuals. And yet, they faced intense persecution from Babylon. They were tossed into a fiery furnace so hot that those tossing them in died from the heat. They didn't suffer that because they had sinned. They suffered that because God needed to be glorified through that. And it's really, in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's kind of easy to see how God is glorified through it, right? I mean, just the, the fact that we are here talking about it thousands of years later, glorifying God for it, is proof enough. But even in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar sends out a decree to his entire nation pointing to the God of the Israelites, glorifying him, even if he's doing it out of fear of God, wanting to not be struck down, God is still glorified through those actions. God was still glorified through the suffering of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In our lives, though, it's not always as easy to see, right? And I don't think there's a single person here who has never asked why 
when they are going through the fire. I know I, I tend to, and that's okay. It is okay to ask why. Because you're seeking God through it, right? You're seeking God through it when you ask why. You're going to him and saying, why am I going through this? Now, like I put in John, or like the passage we read in John, why you're going through something is not necessarily because of sin. We know that occasionally it is. I mean, Israel is sacked and taken into captivity numerous times because of their sin. Um, we can look at King David in the Old Testament, who was punished for his sins. Sometimes, like, not sometimes, sin has consequences, right? And some of the fires and trials and tribulations we go through are because of sin. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes when you're standing there asking, why am I dealing with this medical issue? Why have I not been healed? Why has this family member died? Why did I lose my job? Why am I fighting depression? Why am I battling against suicidal thoughts? Why have I not been able to get a meal in multiple days? Why do I not have a place to live? These battles, these trials, these, these fires that you go through, they're not necessarily because of your sin. Sometimes the things that you fight against are there because it glorifies God and it brings others to him, that they might be forgiven. It's not always to see how that works out. And honestly, I don't know if we'll ever get to see how the things that we go through in life bring others closer to God in this life. I, I don't know if we ever will. It might be eternity when we get to actually know these things. But there's a couple things we can do when we are in the midst of the fire to bring us both closer to God to get us through the fire and make sure that what we're going through is glorifying him. The first thing, and I am incredibly guilty of not doing this, the first thing that helps is to let your trials and your struggles live in the light, right? God can't be glorified in the darkness because God is light. And we are not designed to be islands excluded from everyone else. God made Adam and then immediately was like, oh, this isn't good and made most creation story, I believe, goes through, and he makes all the animals. He's like, none of these work. So he makes Eve. He's like, this, this works. You have an equal. You have a helper. You can't go through life alone, Adam, so I'm going to make Eve. The same thing with us. We can't go through life alone. We can't be an island struggling by ourselves, isolated from everyone else. We're not going to make it through, Right? So we have to take our trials and our struggles and bring them into the light because in the light, God is glorified. In the light, the thing that you're fighting against loses its power over you. And in the light, we can come around you and help you. We're called to bear each other's burdens and we can only do that if the burdens are brought into the light for us to know about. The other part is to keep strong in your faith, to have a living faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego exemplify this. They don't back down in the face of trials and tribulations. They don't back down in the face of the literal fire over there. We have to stand for God regardless of the fire that we're going through. And I know that is incredibly difficult at times. 
is so hard at times when you're like, God, I don't understand why. I don't understand when this is going to end. I want it to end. Please let it end. And he just doesn't. And it wears on you. And part of bringing it to the light is other people are able to come up behind you and help support you so that you can keep living out your faith, so that you can stand strong in the name of God. And if you do those things when you're in the midst of trials, then you can know this. Even if you can't see how God is glorified through you or how he is using your current situation, whatever it is, know that whatever you're going through, that one, God is with you, and two, he's using it to bring others closer to him. Your trials are not in vain. If you take nothing else from everything I've said, your trials are not in vain. Over the past, I don't even know how long at this point, it's gone on long enough that I don't, I lost track of time. There's so many in our church that have been going through the fire recently. There's so many in our church that have gone through trials and tribulations that would just crush anyone without God, anyone that didn't have a family to support them. And culturally, I see this so often that we bring up examples of, oh, it could be worse, right? Like, let's, let's look at, take the temperature outside. It's 100 degrees. We can complain about it, and someone would say, but it's 120 a little bit further south. That doesn't change the fact that it's 100 degrees and I'm sweating through my clothes and I just don't, I want to go inside to the AC. Like, that, that doesn't, if you break your leg and someone says, well, it could be worse, you could have lost your leg, you still have a broken leg, right? I could go example after example after example. Culturally, we like to do this. We like to downplay the trials that we go through, the things that we are fighting against. But here's the thing, guys. Your trials and the things you face, they're not insignificant, and they're not lesser just because someone somewhere is going, potentially going through something worse than you. They are still your trials. They are still the fire that you are in right now. And just because someone else has it worse does not diminish the fact that you are in the furnace just trying to make it to tomorrow. You don't have to downplay your trials. You shouldn't downplay your trials. What we need to do individually and as a church is acknowledge them and learn to be able to stand in them and learn how to support each other through them. That's what we have to do. Because the church is supposed to support each other through these fires. God is with us, and he has given the church to us to also be with us. Ben, I'm going to have you guys come up. I just have a little bit more. We have to learn these things now, right? Because the type of trials we face are spiritual and internal mostly at the moment, right? We don't face the persecution of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where people are literally trying to toss us into a fiery furnace. We don't face the physical persecution that our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world face right now. But we will eventually. Whether it's in our generation or our children's generation, our children's children's generation. Jesus, in that passage out of Luke, very clearly says, it will come. There will be a time when the world finally says, no, we're done. 
we're done with you guys preaching these, this idea of holiness and this idea of a God that loves us. No, there is no, there's no God, and we, are, we reject all of it. Eventually, the world will get to the point where they say, no, they're going to deliver us up, take us to prison, want our lives. We will face physical persecution eventually. And we need to learn how to help each other through trials now so that when that time comes, we are prepared. The other thing I'm going to tell you is that we need to make up our minds now, whether it's now, this afternoon, this evening, of whether we are going to stand and tell them, I serve my God, and even if he doesn't save me, I'm still going to stand and not bow, or if we're going to bow. Because if we wait till we are standing before King Nebuchadnezzar about to be thrown into the fire to decide if we are going to keep standing, we're probably not going to stand. So now, before any physical persecution starts, even if it doesn't start in your lifetime, embrace your faith in such a manner that you could stand in that moment, that you would stand in that moment. And look at those around you that are in the fires. and Go to them and help them through it. Because what is the church for if we don't help each other out and we don't make sure each other makes it through tomorrow? you all would stand. I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to be up here. Um, if you want to talk through anything, if you want to pray about anything, a trial you're going through, or just general prayers about life. Uh, there's nothing that you can tell me that will push me away or that will make me think less of you. Um, if you don't want to pray with me, grab someone around you. The church is supposed to bear each other's burdens. We are supposed to be with each other in the midst of the fire. So be with each other in the midst of the fire. And don't isolate yourself away from those that would wish to help you. Pray with me. Father, I come before you today. I thank you, Lord, for just everything you've given us. Lord, I thank you for the stories that we have of the ways you've acted throughout history that we can look and see that when you promise to keep us through the fire, that when you promise to make sure it won't consume us, that you will send your angels to us in those moments that we need them, that we can see examples of you doing just that, that we can know that when you make those promises, they're not empty, that we can know when you say you will be with us to the ends of the earth, that you are with us to the ends of the earth. Lord, I thank you for that promise. I thank you for the comfort that it brings me. Lord, I want to pray over this congregation. I want to pray over all the trials that everyone here is going through. And Lord, I just ask for you to move. I ask for you to make your presence known in a very powerful, meaningful manner for each and every person here. Let them know that you are there. Let them know that you see the fire that they are in and that you are going to take them through that fire. And they're going to come out the other end. And Lord, I ask for a burden upon everyone here to look at each other with the desire to help each other through those fires. With the desire to lift each other up and build each other up and not let anyone sit on an island by themselves. And Lord, I just 
pray that you be with this church and continue to move and work in this church. Because, Lord, you are being glorified, and I know you will continue to be glorified. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.